Hello, we're delighted you've chosen to come and connect with us here at Mole Valley Farmers. There's a lot being said right now about sustainability, achieving net zero, carbon calculations, but what does it all mean for agriculture? Well, you've come to the right place and made a great decision in choosing this podcast series, as we're going to do our best using experts from within our business, as well as industry specialists, to provide you with great information and lots of takeaway ideas for you to mull over whether you're directly involved on farm or have an interest in what is happening out there in the fields and farms of the UK. And it might just provide that motivation to begin the journey of making what you do each day as sustainable as possible. Today, we're talking about the role of farmland soils in fighting climate change. Here's what's coming. We are the only industry that offers a climate solution, and we can do that at the same time as producing food, safeguarding our natural resources. Once they start on the journey, they can't stop and they don't want to and they'll never go back. Um, so sometimes it's the tradition that holds them back a little bit. And a lot of the things that you can do, you know, don't require a huge amount of investment, don't require a huge investment in time or knowledge, and will actually help improve the efficiency of your business. I'm your host, Seth Conway. So let's get into this. The role of farmland soils in fighting climate change with my guests, Lisa Hamley, Head of Grassland and Forage Agronomy for Mole Valley Farmers, and Becky Wilson, Business Development and Technical Director for Farm Carbon Toolkit. Ladies, delighted that uh, you can join us today. Lisa, let's start with you. Just a little bit of a description of who you are, where you've come from and why you're talking to us today. Okay, so I'm Lisa, obviously, Hambly, and I'm an agronomist uh, who works as head of grassland and forage agronomy at Mole Valley Farmers. Um, I've worked my probably entire life in grassland and livestock farming. So, um, yeah, very passionate about um, forages um, and everything grassland. And for you, Becky? So my name's Becky Wilson, and I'm a project uh, project director at Farm Carbon Toolkit. Um, I've been working at Farm Carbon Toolkit for about the last nine years, um, really trying to help farmers understand what to do around greenhouse gas emissions, soil health and resource use efficiency. Um, uh, but I've been working in resource use efficiency, so uh, on soils and manures and nutrients uh, and all the fun stuff for about the last 15 years. Um, prior to that, I was um, yeah, working uh, managing uh, dairy farms uh, in Sussex and in Devon. Um, let's get underway then because this one is about the role of farmland soils in fighting climate change. Um, what kind of pressure then is farming under to reduce its environmental impact and how really can farming be part of the solution to climate change, not the problem that it often gets described as? Let's start with you, Lisa. Um, well, from a grassland point of view, actually, I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff we're doing right. Um, grassland, um, as I'm sure Becky will concur, is is a massive sink for carbon. Um, so um, in actual fact, with, I think, with some uh, changes of practices and management practices, we can only improve on, on what good starting point we're at. Um, so for me, from a practical basis, I think, um, you know, the opportunities are there to improve farm efficiency. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's quite an exciting time. Um, I don't know what Becky thinks. 
Absolutely. Um, I think you've, you've hit the nail really on the head there, Lisa. You know, farmers at the moment are often seen as public enemy number one when we start thinking about the environmental impact of agriculture. You know, if you look at some of the reports that have come out recently, you know, we are not showing that we are making a lot of progress. But if we flip that on our head on its head for a minute, we are the only industry that offers a climate solution. And we can do that at the same time as producing food, safeguarding our natural resources, you know, improving biodiversity and all the rest of it. So unlike unlike it's currently portrayed where actually it's being seen as a negative, you know, we have a real positive story to tell. And the really exciting things that are happening on farm are what should be being communicated rather than the cow is the problem. Because in terms of how we manage our landscapes, you know, we are the ones that have the ability to make that change. And if we start thinking about soil, um, as Lisa's already said, you know, soil is the second largest carbon store that we have on the planet. But it's not just about protecting that carbon store. It's actually about looking at how the management that we can do as farmers can actually enhance that carbon store, because that enhancing of that carbon store is taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, which is providing that climate solution. And the really good thing for farmers is that a lot of the practices that will do that will also benefit us agronomically so they will also help us as Lisa said in terms of that resource use efficiency they will also help in terms of building the resilience on our farm so the ability of our farms to be able to hold more water to release more water to cope with these climatic changes that we're having and also they will help us to become more productive so it really is a win-win-win but unfortunately at the moment that's not what is out there in terms of being communicated. And why do you think that is, Becky? Do you think that for the public and the media, it's quite a complicated issue to get into, whereas just saying cows emit methane, there we are, they're a big problem. That's really simple to understand, isn't it? Absolutely. One of the one of the one of the challenges that we have when we communicate with these sort of things, when we talk about carbon, is that the devil is in the detail. So actually, you know, getting these very easy sort of uh, sound bites is very tricky because you know you can't that we have so much variation in terms of our farming systems you know each farm is different you know it's in a different location different soil type and what they do over the top of it so you know it's actually about trying to pull that together and realize that there are multiple different things that we can do but it will depend on your farming system your climate type and your soil type so again it's the communication of that which is a challenge the other real challenge that we have is that you know we have a lack of consistent metrics that are used across all supply chains across all enterprises so being able to pull that data together and actually have really good numbers that can be used to debunk some of these claims which are used are challenging because we don't have that sort of consistent of approach across across the whole of the farming industry at the moment. Lisa with the amount of work that is going on behind the scenes do you think that at some point there will be this bit where the public do have a bit of a, a realisation about it, but then also farmers who this isn't necessarily their thing, they haven't really got into this. I mean, admittedly, there are plenty that have, but for those that haven't, just knowing that actually there is this work going on behind the scenes that they could become part of will help to shape that message going forward. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've seen a, you know, a change already this year with, um, let's say, Down to Earth, for example, which was based on livestock farmers and regenerative um, practices. 
um, and they're really interested. The thing I've always found with livestock farmers is they actually love their livestock. So they spend an awful lot of time um, looking after and caring for their livestock. And they generally, you know, um, don't have so much of an interest in what happens in their fields. And I say, luckily, we've got, you know, great grassland farmers out there who are now looking at that opportunity. Yes, some of it is coming through the, the legislation with um, elms and um the uh, sustainable farming incentives which are being introduced so that's put a lens on it but actually a lot of farmers have already been doing these practices um, and are looking for new ways of um, being more efficient um, and producing uh, better crops better quality for their livestock so the two is actually tying in quite nicely together now um, and I think the other thing is is that um, arable farming in a way with you know crops of wheat etc is always fairly well publicized um, you always see the big tractors and um, that's kind of you know kind of a nice thing to look at and harvest season it's always summer so a lot of people see people doing that but the hard work in livestock generally happens through the winter through the less times which are you know not quite as um, fun and as exciting so I think that if we have an opportunity to actually go yes what we're doing is you know we're growing um, some multi-species legumes some herbal lays and we're getting new roots in the ground and actually we don't use as much fertilizer in general as arable farmers we're actually a lot more efficient than we think so i think it's just yeah making it more um accessible to public and, and actually know how we get grass um and all the different ways we we can feed it to to cows and grass and herbal lays and soil health uh, uh you know are big factors in livestock farming um so yeah i think it's about the message yeah, I mean, that's really interesting, Lisa. And Becky, for you then, for farmers who are perhaps listening and, and as Lisa says, they're, they're doing some of this already, but those changes that they can do in how that they how they run their farming year can actually have that commercial win, can't it, where they're saving saving some money, but equally they're doing things that are climate positive, not climate negative. Absolutely. And I think, you know, for a lot of farmers who are very busy during the day in terms of dealing with, you know, the general stuff that's happening on the farm. You know, this can seem like something else that is coming down from, you know, down from government, down from policy that is going to take time off the farm. But what we tend to find when we work with when we work with farmers is actually if you flip that around and actually see this as just another lens of looking at your business, it provides a really good opportunity just to think about your business from another perspective. And as you say, there is that really good link with improving resource use efficiency, reducing costs. And a lot of the things that you can do, you know, don't require a huge amount of investment, don't require a huge investment in time or knowledge and will actually help improve the efficiency of your business. So there are bottom line benefits to be had from implementing some of these things. But the other really important thing is that actually by, do, by measuring or by understanding what you're doing, it also allows you to celebrate the good stuff that you are already doing. You know, so actually, you know, for a lot of our livestock businesses, there will be a lot of good things that they're already doing. There will be a lot of grass that they are, you know, that, that's there. And so by valuing the contribution that that grass is making from a carbon sequestration perspective, that already changes the, the sort of nuance of the conversation from, you know, my cows are all bad to actually oh look I'm doing some really good things here and actually you know and so you can you can really the work that we do with farmers you can sort of really see the light start to come on when you start saying actually 
you, you know, this is a real positive thing you're doing. And actually, as Lisa says, by by making these small tweaks, you know, there are financial benefits by reducing the amount of fertiliser you're applying, by using your manures and slurries more effectively, by reducing compaction. So actually, you've got more grass growing, which gives you more forage and better forage quality. You know, all of these, especially in the era of rising costs that we are in at the moment, will all make financial sense as well as making good carbon sense and also help in terms of safeguarding that most important resource in terms of our soils and we'll get into kind of the the how to do it uh, a little, little bit later during this podcast just mentioning manure there becky am i right in thinking that you helped come up with an app called the the crap app <laughs> absolutely absolutely we have all the glamorous glamorous jobs here um so yes from manure to carbon so yeah as long um with a team of uh colleagues at dutchy college and at uh, rothamsted research northwick yeah really trying we developed an app called the farm crap app to really help farmers value their manures um, again, and actually put a sort of number on it so that you can understand when you're applying your manures or your slurries from from different types of stock, what's that actually providing in terms of crop available, you know, fertilizer equivalent nutrients? Because our resources are a fa- our, our manures are a fantastic resource, um, not just in terms of nutrient, but also in terms of organic matter and and food for biology. So they should be celebrated, absolutely. Well, celebrating poo. Who would have thought it? <laughs> um, Obviously, during this conversation, there are lots of technical language. You know, some people listening will be completely across it. They'll know everything about it. Um, others just coming to this party and really understanding, wanting to understand what, what's happening. But Lisa, just tell us briefly, you know, sequestration. I think I've said it right. Spent 20 years reading the news on TV and I've never come across that expression once. What is sequestration? Um, so it's essentially, as I understand it, and Becky might correct me, but, you know, what you're trying to do is store more carbon in the soil. As I say, in grassland soils, we've got a fair bit of carbon in there. So what we're trying to do is, A, put more in, but also try not to lose it. So, um, you know, so, for example, uh, obvious one, it would be ploughing. Um, so if you're going to turn the soil over, then you're going to, going to have less losses. Um, also, if you're um, leaving the soil bare, you're going to still be burning off your um, carbon or and your organic matter in it because the soil biology keeps on working. So it wants to work on a, on a route. So, um, you know, trying to make sure we keep as much carbon where we want it um, and add into that by, um, you know, various roots in the ground. So not just having monocultures, but having, so for grass, you have clover with it or um, herbs and different roots in there to all put it down into the earth and keep it keep it in there so yeah so we're literally putting the the right plants in that will suck the carbon out of the air put it into the soil and then keep it keep it there that's that that kind of I've, i've got the right idea there becky Absolutely. So I think we've got the the two real concepts here to think about is, as Lisa's already said, is is storage. So the amount of carbon that we have stored in our soils. Now, that is as a result of, you know, what we've done in the past, our soil type, our climate, our climatic conditions. Sequestration is that act of actually taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and holding it on our farm. Now, on our farms, we might be holding that in our trees, in our hedgerows, in our environmental areas, but we're also holding it in our soil. And what we want to try and do is actually use that carbon that our plants, our trees, our hedgerows are capturing um, in a way which actually allows us to, to hold on to that carbon and build the 
stores of organic carbon and organic matter that we have within the soil. But yeah, sequestration, again, it's, it's not a term that you often hear, hear widely, although it's becoming a lot more widely spoken about now, is yeah, that act of taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and holding it. And for us within agriculture, it's about holding it in our woody biomass or within our soils. And again, this is something, like I said, we'll get into the more sort of technical ways that, that, pe- that people can, can do it. But for farmers, as you're saying, when you're trying to shift the message from being problem to solution, then actually that is a concept, isn't it? That the public really, if they were more widely aware of it, could get their heads around because, you know, it's out there amongst them, isn't it? And that's something really that, that could come across better, I would have thought. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think this is, you know, this whole uh, being a, the ability of us to be able to show this positive thing that's happening through effectively green leaves, um, which is what, you know, which is what we're talking about, has much wider ramifications. Because again, you know, it's also about how our consumers and our general public are managing their gardens and their green spaces, because actually that also has a role to play in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of generating that climate solution. But it all comes down to how we're actually managing our soils, our fields, our trees. And I think often the the conversation has become quite quite simplistic in terms of trees are the only answer. Um, Again, and that, you know, they're visible to see in the landscape and we know that trees and hedgerows have a place, but also shifting that conversation to understand the value of grasslands, the value of soils um, in terms of providing food, food, but also providing this really important climate solution is a really key part of that discussion. Yeah, absolutely. And for you then, Lisa, when you're going out in your role as uh, head of grassland and forage agronomy at Mole Valley, you're going out and speaking to farmers. Is this a conversation that, that they are increasingly becoming aware of? So is it becoming less of a hard sell to them or are you still coming up against uh, people who are a bit like, oh, I don't really get it. I don't really know what it's got to do with me. Actually, you know, I think that there is a depth of knowledge that you know we don't appreciate i suppose and the fact is that they all want to do this sometimes they're not quite sure you know how, how what does this mean like you say to the individual farm because every single farm's different but what they they all want to do is um you know they all want to be more efficient they all want to um have that healthy um, quality forage for their cows and it's it's open an open door you know you only have to go at some of these events which are regenerative and the questions that they ask and you know somebody um actually it wasn't a farmer but somebody in business said look you know how what how much is this going to cost them and I said the same thing as Becky is actually this is beneficial to the farm it's beneficial to the cows it's beneficial to the environment um we should be doing this anyway and if they do get a benefit from it it's an added bonus because in actual fact more efficient farms are um you know are are more profitable if you can you know say this this in the world the animals are healthier less carbon um commitment from the animals and and it's yeah it's something that once they start on the journey they can't stop and they don't want to and they'll never go back um so sometimes it's the tradition that holds them back a little bit you know so it might be the you know oh my dad always plows so i always plow okay well let's look at that soil let's see if we do actually need to plow in this circumstance or whether maybe we can just you know top up with some seeds put some different varieties in let's get some deeper rooting varieties so each individual farm has got 
yeah, some challenges and some um, opportunities to change things. And it might just be that it's just traditional. Um, but let's look at that because that tradition maybe only started 40 years ago. So it, it, we can turn this back. Um, so, yeah, no, I just find a um, huge amount of enthusiasm for, um, for these changes generally. It's just sometimes a little bit of a helping hands needed. This is the first in a new podcast series helping share information and ideas that will actively help fight climate change. It's up to us all to do our bit and is one of the reasons why Mole Valley Farmers wanted to begin this conversation and reach as many people as possible. If you don't already know Mole Valley Farmers, well we've been around for more than 60 years helping farmers to get the best deals and helping to provide solutions. We're talking today about the role of soils in fighting climate change and we do offer a carbon check soil testing service to help you establish the level of organic matter and carbon sequestered in your soil. It's a quick, simple and straightforward way of getting going on this journey. To order a kit, you can call 01796 576 405. That's 01796 576 405. And we'll get a kit out to you with instructions. That's 01796 576 405. Okay, so let's dig into that, pardon the pun, and let's get into some detail. Um, you mentioned there about ploughing, but uh, you've also mentioned about, you know, the different types of seeds that can be sown and different ways, but let's let's properly get into it. What, what, what can farmers do practically to uh, improve the situation? Um, right, so I suppose from an uh, agronomist point of view, you know, the first point of call I'd be generally making is do a soil test, find out what you've already got there. While you're there, do a visual inspection. So do a VES, have a dig, like you said, <laughs> just, you know, dig a hole, find out what's been going on with this soil. Look at your worms. I mean, they're a very easy judge of soil health. Um, see how many worms you've got. Make a note of it. Uh, make a note where you dug so that if you want to go back and check and see if you've made improvements, that you'll know where to where to go. So, you know, you've had a good look round. You've had a look and see if there's any wet patches or maybe drainage issues. So, yeah, go out, have a look, walk around the fields um, and then get your soil test back and then make a plan. Um, and I would include, uh, as we said about muck, get your slurry or muck sent off as well. So you know what you've got. So you know what you've got in the field, what the challenges are, um, and you'll know what the opportunities are for amendments if necessary or not. So you might have too much of something, especially on livestock farms. You know, we've had muck for a fair long time, which I think, again, differentiates us in a way from most arable farms is that our organic matter tends to be good, um, you know, which is a fantastic starting point. But you don't want too much or too little. So that would be my very first start off is gather as much information as you can and we'll come back to you in a sec lisa for other practical measures Be becky you know from farm carbon toolkit perspective actually what lisa's saying there about the the testing and things is, is music to your ears isn't it really because that's kind of what you're looking at and and uh, all the work that's going on at the moment to try to get these uh, uh, net carbon zero farms absolutely i mean i think you know we would always say that your your spade is your best friend. So actually, you know, your your soil is your most managed and your most valuable asset. 
and the way that you can, you know, get to know your soils a little bit more intimately is always going to pay dividends because, yes, we might know, you know, what our soil type is, but actually how our soil is, is structured, you know, whether we've got areas of compaction, whether we've got, you know, all those things, you're not going to know until you actually get down and have a look at what's happening because that also allows you to understand, you know, not just not just, uh, you know, what's happening, but as Lisa was saying about some of these more deeper rooting species, actually, you know, have you got the right conditions for some of these practices that you might then put into place? Are they actually going to have the best possible start because your soil is in the best structure, because it's healthy, because it's got worms and all those other sort of things? So you can do a lot from just digging a hole and having a look at what's there. But also in terms of, you know, that also provides that really good information that you can then feed into if you want to do a carbon footprint if you want to understand what's happening and get that real baseline information and those soil tests or those soil analyses um, that Lisa's talking about also can be fed into that carbon footprint to give you a sort of put a stake in the ground and say well this is where we are now because that's one of the things that we tend to find with some of our work with farmers is they might go ahead and do all these things and actually not have a starting point to say, well, this is where we were. So that actually being able to then demonstrate progress is a little bit more challenging. So it's always really good before you start changing anything to sort of, you know, survey the scene and see where you are, both from a soil physical perspective, from an analytical perspective, but also if you've got time to have a look at your carbon footprint, because then you can actually show progress over time. So I guess in some ways it's kind of horses for courses really, isn't it? It's about what you are presented with at that starting point, know where you are at that starting point and then move it on to what else you can do. And we'll we'll come back to talk about the sort of wider um, carbon reduction and uh, ways that you can generate your own electricity in, the, in a bit. But Lisa, then once you've kind of done that initial work, then you can look at, I suppose, what grasses you can put in um, at different times of the year to fit in with your farming cycle what kind of things then should farmers be looking at and at what time of year should they be looking to uh, to put them in well i mean basically like you say we gathered this all, all this information so then what you need is a plan so um depending on what time of year you do it, i mean generally um if you're doing soil tests it would be in the spring or in the autumns the general time to do it which is also a great time for having a plan so um getting that plan so i would say that's like a nutrient management plan from the basics so what becky said is you know make sure you've got the right soil conditions for that plan so if you've got um, low pH, for example, would be your base starting point. Um, then some uh, legumes like clovers, etc., wouldn't grow well in a in a low pH. So you might have to fix that part first. So this, you know, don't don't be too quick to get on the phone and order some seeds. Let's make sure these soil conditions are where they need to be. It could be that you've got compaction. Okay, so in which case, if it's you know um, surface compaction, so that's where animals have been treading. Um, generally you would see that on a grazing platform um, in which case you're going to need to address that part first so get that balance that biological balance back in get that air into the soil try and get it cycling again because it might just be that it's got stale you've had water falling on the top not transferring through to the roots um, so yeah so it's in individual things you've got a plan in place you think well for example you might need some aeration 
um, which is, you know, a fairly low key operation in, in the top layer. Um, but actually that could just kickstart the soil into being more biologically active. So there's no set plans. Becky was saying you've got to find out what you've got. Put this plan in place. Right. This area, fairly sandy, not much compaction. OK, well, how about we try some herbal lays in that field for a start off? This is not a thing that you're going to be able to fix overnight. This is, you know, something that, you know, farming practices over however many years, 100 years. Well, um, the Egyptians have been ploughing fields since their time. So this is not something we can just fix overnight. But by starting somewhere, like Becky says, putting your flag post in again, this is where we're starting today. And this is where we want to be um, and doing the things that are easy to do, like lime, perhaps if you've got low pH or sorting out compaction and also working on a plan not to get it compacted again. So think about your soil type. Don't have cows out, you know, late into the season if that's going to cause compaction. Think about how you're planning. You might have some sandier soils where actually we could have them out there, but we can't have them in, in that field there. So, um, yeah, it's your starting point, really. And so then with that, you've kind of you've 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 done that testing, you've you've thought about it, you've you've come up with a plan. Then, Becky, in terms of what then gets put into those soils, that really can be something that, you know, everyone's worried, aren't they, about rising costs or whatever. How does it sort of compare? Because people might be worried about costs and about whether things would escalate if they're trying to do this kind of work. But I guess it, it doesn't necessarily have to do that, does it? Absolutely. I think, you know, again, some of the perceptions are that you have to put in a an all singing, all dancing, 35 species mix. You know, it doesn't have to be the case at all. And I think a lot of the a lot of the time it's about looking at what you've currently got as well and actually looking at the, the health of that lay. You know, how long has it been down there? Does it need... Does it need a complete, you know, restart? Because actually you've got a lot of weed grasses in there. You've got a lot of, or actually, is it something that you might be able to improve on what's there What's there already? And certainly we've had some quite interesting results with some permanent pastures where actually not even by putting any new species in, but just by changing the way you're grazing your animals, you're actually in providing that rest period. You're allowing the time for those things that which are already in the seed bank actually to proliferate. So it, it's often thought that it has to be this really high cost thing it really doesn't what we're looking for with that diversity is as lisa's already said is we're looking to try and incorporate some legumes in there so some clovers um which actually will fix atmospheric nitrogen and actually you know we know that we've got seventy-eight thousand kilos of nitrogen that's available above every hectare of land we've also got plants that are in that we can put in that actually are able to capture that nitrogen and use it but again it's about the management of those systems and actually making those clovers work so again making sure that we really pull back on those nitrogen levels so that actually the clovers will fix the nitrogen because again you know if we continue to feed the nitrogen in then actually you know they're going to say well there's no point us doing it so it's about that nutritional management um as lisa's already said and it doesn't have to be you know a massively posh very expensive mix it's actually about looking at what do you want those things for so actually as i say do you want that deeper rooting species in which case you might want to put in some of those grass species that have those deeper rootings you might want to put in the chicken and the plantains um you know do you want um 
do you want to start including some of the herbs that actually are very good in terms of their, you know, anthelmintic properties? So then you can cut back on your wormers that you might be applying. So a lot of these things that you can start to grow will actually mean that you can put less in in terms of your input. So you can dramatically reduce the amount of fertilizer that you have to apply when you've got these diverse mixes. But also, you know, you're actually producing something which has a higher forage quality and will also give you grass at those shoulders of the season where you might have struggled for grass before. So what you can also do is that you can reduce your bag fee cost as well so you might be spending a little bit more on grub on seed but you are massively reducing the amount of other inputs that are coming into the farm and again if you choose your mixtures carefully those swords will then persist for longer as well so again you know there are definitely cost savings to be had yeah which is good good for everybody to 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 hear and for you lisa i guess um you know farmers could come and speak to somebody like 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 yourself um, at Mole Valley to to get that kind of information about the best ways that, that they could do it. Um, but I suppose it's also about you, you helping to promote, isn't it, in local areas, farmers being able to perhaps share some of this grassland that they're producing um, because they might have a different type of farming that they're involved in and then they can share it a, 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 across, can't they? So it kind of benefits everyone by working together, I suppose, in local communities. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, when I found, um, you know, having discussions with farmers um, that they want to help each other um, and go, you know, well, I've tried a multi-species lay. Oh, how did that go? Well, actually, you know, the cows really loved it. Um, and oh, I had a field that, you know, burnt off really in the summer. And, and actually, I put a multi-species or deeper rooting grasses in. And oh, now I can, I've got more forage through the summer and I'm, I'm less challenged when it comes to my winter feed. So um, there's so many opportunities. It's really exciting. I mean, it's fantastic for um, us, you know, from an agronomy point of view and from a feed point of view. Um, as Becky said, you know, the, the properties of um, reintroducing the these um, mixtures for animal health. I mean, I when I look at soil analysis, I look at it also from an uh, animal health point of view. So looking at, you know, the challenges um, that uh, animals might have from the soils. And actually, if you get your soil balanced, it's more available minerals. And these multi-species are giving a lot more to the mixture. So, and everything just turns around slowly, not happens overnight. And I think that's actually one of the challenges with soils is because nobody's looks at it like you say you need to get that spade out if you if you walk over a piece of soil you're not thinking oh I'm walking on a piece of soil you're just assuming it's there and you don't even really think about what it's doing so you know I've, I've challenged people oh use an aerator to try and as I said get this soil cycling well we tried it once and it it didn't work well okay but it might not work on the surface what you can't see there is what's actually happening underneath so I think that's one of the barriers to break down like I said is is looking seeing what it's like because actually something is happening but you just can't see it they can see what grows on the top and they can see if their cows are healthy or their sheep or they can see all that but what goes on underneath sometimes just takes a little bit longer and, and that's why I say patience so getting everybody talking like exactly like you say is the key to this success I, I think now it's a really good point Lisa and also Becky that you know, talking about things that you can't necessarily see, that people need to think about this into the future, don't they? Because we can't necessarily see the change in our climate and what's going on right at this second. I know we, we're getting some examples of it, fairly extreme in some certain parts of the world. 
But unless we all do something, actually these crops that we grow, the grasses that we grow are going to get affected, aren't they, by you know rising, rising temperatures. So we, we do need to act now, even if we can't necessarily see the impact of it immediately. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if we look at what's happened over the last couple of years, you know, we are starting to see increasing frequency in what's happening in these extreme, in these changing weather patterns, aren't we? You know, we know that for the last, our springs have been really challenging over the last couple of years. We know that our winters have been all over the place. So I think one thing we are having to be as we move forward is as managers is a lot more flexible. And actually what we've always done often isn't isn't there anymore so we are having to start to adapt what we do and again that's where really this concept of our farm being resilient really comes in so actually the ability of our soils to adapt and 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 cope with these different weather conditions where we've either got no moisture at all or far too much moisture and there doesn't seem to be much in between and I think if we come back down to a soil level really the ability of our soils to act like a sponge and hold that water for when we you know when it's starting to get drier and release it slowly when we don't is a key part of that and there are a lot of these management practices and these things that we're talking about which will you know the organic matter which is in our soil helps that uh, that ability of our soil to act like a sponge so it's all linked together but again we are dealing with a lot more uncertainty in terms of our climate as we as we go forward and you know for livestock farmers especially you know this can have real implications so you know getting our soils in the best condition that they can work with the water that we've got and be more resilient is that for, is that next step really yeah absolutely so let's go to some takeaways for for people listening for it lisa um you know straight away now if somebody hasn't done any uh, testing on on farm what what would you say to them um i would say straight away exactly what you said go out into the fields get some soil samples do a vez so that's a visual inspection um count your worms and have a review of everything you've already got there. As Becky said earlier, you've probably got some good stuff going on. And let's see what areas can be improved on to have a plan. Um, that would be my initial conversation with them. And then getting a, 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 a soil test to check carbon levels. How, how easy is that? It's very easy. Yeah, all, all agronomists have got a, a soil corer, which they can go out into the field. So, you know, generally people are doing the basic test to start off with. Um, but I would say, you know, expand on that. Get, uh, you know, get a full mineral spec. See what see what's going on in that soil. Um, have that um, visual inspection as a backup, so you can immediately see then the comparison between um, your soil test and what you actually saw. So, for example, high magnesium soils, which we're seeing more and more in grassland, um, can be you know very tight, which means that it's really hard to get that soil corer in, even when even when the conditions are good. And then suddenly you come back and you see a high magnesium soil, you think, ah, right, okay, this is where we're starting from. Okay, in order to change that X, Y, and Z, so it's not just a lab it's actually physically looking at it and comparing that with the results that you're getting um, and in which case you know you will have that base starting point of actions that can be um, taken to um, improve your soil health fantastic lisa and then becky i suppose it's then uh using those different grasses getting into that rotational grazing um, the different species that, that, that you have, that's, I guess, the next kind of step. Um, but then beyond that, what the things that you're looking at this Farm Net Zero project, you know, where could, if people are really energised and really enthused and they want to do more, where else could they go after this? 
the the nice thing when we think about i suppose there's two sides of this there's reducing emissions on the farm so that's reducing those greenhouse gas emissions that that we are all producing as part of that food production system and then there's improving carbon sequestration and on the reducing emissions side what it's worth thinking about is that most things that um you know are a high cost to your business are also a high carbon cost so it's about reducing your fertilizer it's about reducing your feed you know those are two really key ones that actually by doing some of the things that we've been talking about actually you can reduce those as well it's then about thinking about what you're doing around your manure management so again trying to make sure that the nutrients that are within your manure are actually sucked up by the crop to grow and aren't disappearing either into the watercourses or up to the atmosphere so in terms of reducing emissions there are things around that and also then really starting to think about actually optimizing your livestock production system will also mean that you're producing more output for the input which is really good from a carbon perspective but then if we think about it from a sequestration perspective so the positive things which are what outweigh you know what what we balance uh, on farm then yes it's very much about trying to improve our soil carbon levels and that's through really try to utilize the whole soil depth that we have so deeper rooting species making sure we are trying to move towards rotational or mob grazing systems so that our roots can elongate and we've got more of that activity happening down the soil profile but also thinking about the amount of bio you know sort of uh, forage that we're leaving on top which is feeding the soil as well but also then not just thinking about what's happening within our grass and fields you know down in the southwest we have a huge amount of hedgerow you know hedgerows are absolutely fantastic in terms of carbon store you know carbon storage and how we manage those hedgerows has a really key part thinking about those other areas on the farm that we might have or that you know we have for, for the environment those are also providing a sequestration value so it's really about you know when we think about carbon it's about just looking at what you have on your carbon balance sheet as it were where those emissions are coming from but actually what's happening um you know from a positive perspective in terms of where you're holding carbon on the farm um, and really starting to minimize the emissions which also has economic benefits and then maximizing those areas which you can produce on the farm that are sequestering carbon and you're starting in a really good you know you've got a really good starting point there to really start to look at what you might be able to to tap into in the future and then i suppose if you're adding into the mix you know, some have got small scale wind generation, some have got solar PV. Um, you know, this, this idea of net zero for farming, what do you think that would actually mean for the industry in the wider eyes of the public? Because, you know, at the start of this conversation, we spoke about farmers in some ways being demonised about the amount of uh, climate impact they're having. To actually be able to say, no, this farm's net zero, what, what, what do you think that would mean? I think it just completely changes the conversation, doesn't it? And I think it it provides a real tangible way for people to get behind our industry and realise that, you know, we are the ones that are delivering the solutions. And as you say, that might be solutions in terms of, you know, carbon that's being held within the soil or in, in trees and forestry. It might be the fact that we are able to generate renewable energy and that renewable energy obviously can can be used on farm, but also can be exported. But, you know, we have such a multitude of opportunities on farms to deliver on all of these environmental things that we're trying to do. So climate, nature, biodiversity, water quality, air quality. And we can do that at the same time as producing food. So what's not to like about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Lisa, for, for you, what do you kind of think would be the main message that, that you'd like to take away from this, that you'd like people listening to to, to take away from this? I mean, 
I suppose it's not trying to blind people and say you've got to be some chemist or scientist or physicist or biologist or agronomist yourself. Um, but you, you can tap into these things in an understandable way, I guess. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's just going out, looking at I was I was think because I'm obviously a massive grassland fan. I mean, grass is green for a reason. It's green because it's healthy. It's it's you know, it's the future of farming. And um, I think we're already doing a load of stuff that's good. Let's just put the icing on the cake with this. Let's just change a few practices. Let's really have a look at what's happening with our soils um, because I think we are the solution um, and we, you know, and we want to be seen as, as that. And um, yeah, so that's, that's my message to people. Grass is green for a reason. Love it. That is just so blindingly obvious, isn't it? When you stop and think about it from, from that perspective. And uh, just a final word then from, from you, Becky, what, what you're sort of taking away today. Oh, I think, um, yeah, I think it's just really being able to to showcase the benefits of what you're doing. And really, you know, although this can seem really complicated, start with simple things that you can get your head around and you can measure. And then, as I say, once you get hooked on the bat, on the bug, you become a carbon saddo like me and think about it all the time. But it's just, you know, starting to work out what that ha- what's happening and the impl- implications on your farm, really. Ladies, thank you ever so much for uh, for joining us today. You know, it's great to hear some positivity and so getting this conversation going for perhaps people who may not have got so much involved in it you know I really hope that today we've uh, given some people the bug and they will dig in and all those other kind of cliches that we can mention at this point but uh, thank you ever so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Yes, you may know a lot of this already, but there will be others out there for whom this is all new. And by having these conversations, we're all helping to not only produce truly green agriculture, but helping change the impression of farming as we all work towards climate positive agriculture. Join us for the next episode. We'll see you soon.